Hello and welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner. I am your host, Victor Amoyo, one-fourth of the Codex Prime podcast, and today is Monday, January 9th, 2017. And I'm so glad to be back here once again, as this is the first brand new Codex Prime-related show of the new year. And so, uh, right now I'm still holding the fort down for Victor's Corner, which will become a regu- regular feature until we get the band back together, hopefully tomorrow night, so we can record another new episode of the Codex Prime podcast proper. But in the meantime, I will always hold you down as much as I can. Now, for today's episode, I'm going to talk about my five favorite games of 2016. Now, 2016 has been a great year for video games, as many high-profile releases that have been in development for some time have lived up to the hype. Um, For example, Final Fantasy XV, which is not one of my top five games. Now, hold on, before you before you uh, take those pitchforks up, please let me explain. Uh, I did buy Final Fantasy XV on the first week of its release, but as of now, I'm only still six hours into the game. And as anybody who has played a Final Fantasy game or any major epic grand scale RPG knows, six hours is not nearly enough time to provide a comprehensive first impressions or a comprehensive review of the game proper. So... I can't put in a game that I've only invested six hours in on my top five list. That being said, when we do get the band back together for another episode of the Codex Prime podcast, uh, Aris will be more than happy to provide a, a detailed and comprehensive review of the game as he is, as of now, over over 30 hours into the game. So he'll definitely provide some ample analysis of Final Fantasy XV, which I'll give you my first impressions does live up to the hype so far. I absolutely love the combat system. Uh, It does remind me a bit of Kingdom Hearts and, you know, some elements of Final Fantasy XII, kind of like a nice blend between those two uh, uh, action RPGs. Uh, Of course, the game looks absolutely stunning. And uh, for a game that's been in development for the past 10 years, you know, it definitely it definitely lives up to all the anticipation and hype so far. Um, I do hope that uh, the game will become, you know, even more, even more interesting as the narrative progresses. And I do uh, and I'm and I'm still trying to, you know, get used to the ascension grid and the ability points gathering specifically which skills I should uh, uh, allocate uh, uh, ascension points or uh, ability points to. I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that leveling system, but uh, as of now, I'm still having uh, lots of fun with it so far. Uh, there are a couple other games that are that are captivating my interest at the moment, but I am playing uh, Final 15 um, intermittently, but I will devote more focus and attention to it in the near future. So with that out of the way, there's also one honorable mention that I want to give to another game of 2016, and that's Dark Souls 3. Now, Dark Souls 3 is a game that, from what I understand, has taken some, you know, some elements from Bloodborne in in the sense that unlike the previous Souls games, the one game that I did play in the Souls series was Demon Souls for the PS3. And um, compared to that game, I'd say that Dark Souls 3 is much more... Uh, much faster uh, this time around. And while Dark Souls 3 places a bigger emphasis on de- on defense, whereas Bloodborne places a bigger emphasis on offense where dodging and, and, and you know, 
full frontal attacks are the order of the day, Dark Souls 3 is a little more deliberate in its uh, in its gameplay. I've had a lot of fun with it, and um, the storyline for me is pretty obscure, as is as is the, uh, the standard operating procedure for from software's games. But nevertheless, like I really love the um, the dark, ashen, embered ember covered world uh, of of part three the soundtrack is a uh, fab fantastic and the, the 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 dreadful atmosphere is what really draws me into that game i do hope that i will eventually revisit dark souls 3 i kind of fell off uh, due to some other games on this list uh, but eventually i do hope to to get back into dark souls 3 and finish it because i did make make a make a pretty good amount of progress uh, in the game as of now. So um, I'll definitely get back on that horse. And I am, I would love to see a sequel to Bloodborne as well. I mean, is it too much to ask for a Bloodborne part two? And also I would love to see Bloodborne, you know, not be no longer be an exclusive to the PS4. I think Xbox One owners and PC owners as well should definitely get in as well and and see what bloodborne is all about but that's a 2015 game but nevertheless still a, still an awesome from software title and with all of that said let's get into my top five favorite video games of 2016 beginning with number five on my list which is not exactly a brand new title per se but with the small but significant improvements to it it might as well be a brand new game on this list and that game is odin sphere leaf Thrasir. Now, the story of Odin Sphere Leaf Thrasir, it's a game that takes place in the fantasy land of Arion, where a handful of nations are waging war against each other for control of a powerful weapon called the Crystallization Cauldron. And in the midst of this raging war, there are five characters, each of whom have their own parts to play in this widespread conflict, who will determine the ultimate fate of the world. And in this game, you play as five characters, beginning with Gwendolyn, who happens to be a Valkyrie, and the daughter of the demon king Odin. Yes, that very same Odin Odin from Norse mythology. You also have Cornelius, who's a prince transformed into a puka, a rabbit-like creature. And then you have Mercedes, who happens to be the crossbow-wielding daughter of the fairy queen Elfaria. And then you have Velvet, a chain-wielding witch of the forest. And last but not least, you have Oswald, a shadow knight who is totally badass. Also, if you love dragons, they're heavily involved, too, in this game. Uh, there'll be dragons all up in this game, man. <laughs> now, Odin Sphere was originally released in 2000, 2007 on the PS2, and while it was a beautifully designed work of art, I mean, the animations and the character design and the world design are still you know, just gorgeous to look at to this day, uh, this action RPG had a se series of flaws which, in my view, held it back from true greatness. And I must admit, you know, I, ma I did manage to complete the original game through gritted teeth, you know, about actually about four years after I bought the game when it was first released. I actually beat the game around 2011, and it took a lot of patience, uh, which I'll get into the reasons why. Uh, now, with the release of the refined uh, Odin Sphere Leaf Thrasir, which is available for the PS4, PS3, and the Vita, we now have the definitive version of the game, which brings about some several small but significant improvements that makes this game the best version of an already well-respected game. And for starters, Leaf Thrasir is not just a mere port or a remaster. 
you know, the developers, VanillaWare, they actually took the time to produce a full-on remake of the entire game, starting with uh, brand new animations of its already beautiful artwork, from its characters to expansions of the playable environments, which include new areas and hidden spaces, as well as, well as brand new items to discover. And also, the crippling slowdown of the original PS2 game has been resolved, as the high volume of characters on screen simultaneously no longer slows the frame rate to a crawl. So now, in the PS4 version, you can have dozens of characters populate the screen at once without chugging the game to, like, to the point which it becomes a slideshow. But the improvements of Leaf Thrasir are not just cosmetic, because the main significant improvements lie in the combat and its brand new leveling system, which was missing from the original. Um, you see in the original PS2 version, you, leveled up, you leveled up your character in two ways. First, you leveled up your attack power by absorbing phosons, uh, which is the energy yielded by defeated enemies, which powers your weapon. And secondly, by eating food to raise your character's over overall level. Now, in Leaf Thrasir, the phosons you accumulate through battle are now used in a brand new skill tree system where you can spend those phosons on specific active skills, such as new powerful moves, which land multiple combo strikes or a couple of hard hits as well as passive skills like gaining extra experience or increased strength or a chance to spend less stamina on special attacks, etc, etc. And this also ties into the revamped stamina meter, or the power meter in the game. And in the original PS2 version, all of your attacks, including your regular attacks, drained your stamina. And that was what made the original version of Odin Sphere on the PS2 test the limits of my patience and why I said that I beat the, the original game through gritted teeth. Because every time you were landing multi-hit combos on enemies, your, your stamina always drained, and then you constantly had to stop and retreat until your POW gauge refilled itself thus staggering the flow of battle. So you could be in the middle of this big multi-hit combo, but as you're landing those regular attacks, your stamina kept draining. And then if you weren't careful, your character will be momentarily dazed and you'd be unable to do anything because your stamina is completely run out. And so you had to constantly, you know, fight and then retreat, wait until your stamina refills and then fight again. And it, and it really made each of the each of the battles really choppy and more cumbersome than it needed to be. And this time in Leaf Thrasir, this is no longer an issue uh, because in the new version, reg regular attacks do not drain your POW gauge at all. Only your special moves use stamina, so you can actually uh, stay on the attack non-stop because not only do regular attacks no longer use your POW gauge, uh, special attacks, while it does use your stamina, your stamina, your stamina meter refills rather quickly, so you can keep the attack pretty much non-stop throughout, and that really helps with the numerous boss battles in the game. So the game no longer feels like a slog. Uh, but for those who who are still fans of the original version of Odin Sphere, the game does include a classic mode. So if you're feeling particularly nostalgic or masochistic, depending on your point or your perspective. Uh, you can actually play Odin Sphere in its original PS2 form, which, in my view, isn't really necessary to include, but it does give old and new players an appreciation of the improvements VanillaWare made to the game and how far they've come along. So, 
uh, whether you've uh, played the original and haven't finished it or whether you're brand new to Odin Sphere entirely, I highly recommend checking out Odin Sphere Leaf Thrust here as it is as it is one of uh, the the very best action RPGs that I've played and and I would love to see uh, another similar follow-up to Odin Sphere or an, another brand new game from Vanillaware uh, for that matter. So yeah, Odin Sphere Leaf Thrust here is number five on my list. Number four on my list is Rise of the Tomb Raider, which is a sequel to the 2013 reboot developed by Crystal Dynamics. And this game takes place one year after the events of the reboot, in which Lara Croft is obsessively driven to finish what her father started. By traveling to Siberia in order to discover the lost city of Katesh, which is set to contain the Divine Source, which may grant immortality. And during her quest, Lara has to contend with the Shady Trinity organization, which is led by this religious zealot named Constantine, who wants the Divine Source as his own. Now, this game was originally released as a timed Xbox One exclusive in November 2015, and so the PS4 version was released one year later in October, which includes all of the bells and whistles of the original release. And much like the 2013 reboot, and having played the definitive edition of Tomb Raider on the PS4, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider is every bit as exciting and enjoyable as that game. And much like uh, the 2013 reboot, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider is a much darker, grittier, and, and more R-rated, or rather M-rated version of the Uncharted series. And uh, what I what I like about this game is uh, the open, re relatively open ended uh, ex exploration aspect, in which you get to uh, uh, walk around the snowy Siberian environment, and you get to discover hidden optional tombs throughout the land, which uh, which which kind of uh, function like self contained you know worlds in and of themselves, self contained puzzles, and. Um, I, that's one one thing that I really enjoyed about this game, like I did with the previous release. Um, there's also tons of upgradable weaponry, uh, three sets of of obtainable skills. Uh, you can uh, level uh, Lara Croft's fighting prowess as well as her hunting abilities, and you can also upgrade your weapons as well. And there's a bit of customization as well. And there's also a a, a relatively open-ended environment in which you can run into several characters throughout your quest who can give you optional missions that you can uh, complete to in order to further uh, Lara's uh, development. And the game is quite gorgeous. You know, there's uh, tons of snowy vistas. Um, the weather effects are are just just gorgeous to look at. Um, there's a bit of backtracking, which I really didn't mind because you discover new items along your along your quest, such as the rope arrow, uh, which enables you to gain access to previously barred off areas from earlier on in the game. And then eventually you also discover a lockpick, which enables you to open uh, previously uh, uh, sealed um, sealed chests, which may give you upgraded weapons or or some other goodies as well. And um, and and Rise of the Tomb Raider, you know, it, it provides a smooth combination of combat and stealth. And it's, and for me, it's quite satisfying using the bow and arrow, which is my preferred weapon of choice. And I, you kind of use it and I sneak around each environment and I kind of um, 
use it to and I, and I use the bow and arrow to score headshots like a like an R-rated bloodthirsty Katniss Everdeen, which is quite satisfying. As of now, I'm halfway through uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. I'm halfway through the main campaign, and I intend to finish the finish the game as soon as possible. And you know, I gotta say, um, I'm I'm really liking where. Uh, Crystal Dynamics is taking uh, the character of Lara Croft, who, you know, seems, who in this game in particular, seems like a more, a less likable hero, but not in a bad way, but in a way that's rather intriguing, because here you have a character who's who's just driven by obsession and then and, and really self-centered quest when you really think about it. I mean, yeah, she's driven to finish what her father started. You know, she's still going through some trauma from the events of the previous game. But at the same time, as you're playing through the game, you kind of see where her head's where where her head is at and it, it does make for an interesting um way to engage the game and engage this character so i'm really looking forward to seeing where this character lara croft ends up by the time i do finish uh rise of the tomb raider and where this character may end up uh in future installments now i'm wondering i'm just curious uh uh, with this reboot, there has there has been talk of uh, a rebooted uh, Tomb Raider film series starring Oscar winner Alicia Vikander, who's a very good actress. And with the track record of video game movies being as they are, from what I've heard, Assassin's Creed has been quite terrible, uh, despite its uh, acting pedigree. I'm not optimistic about the upcoming Tomb Raider movie, uh, given the track record of uh, video game-based films, but... You know, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully the uh, the future films will reflect the quality of these games and, you know, turn it all around for video game based movies. But I'm, you know, kind of going off on a tangent here. Um, I will say that Rise of the Tomb Raider is definitely worth playing, uh, whether or not you have played the original reboot. Um, I don't think that the the first game is required to play in order to uh, uh, get invested in the story of this game as they're as they're both self-contained narratives but the first game is is definitely worth playing and if you do have a ps4 or an xbox one it's definitely worth getting your hands on the definitive edition which has all the uh, dlc uh, from the original release with updated visuals as well so Rise of the Tomb Raider, a uh, great game. I'm really enjoying it so far, and I hope to finish it soon and uh, perhaps give uh, give uh, another review once I'm done with it on the main Codex Prime podcast. Number three on my list is Dishonored 2, which is a sequel to the 2012 game Dishonored developed by Arcane Studios. And the story of this game takes place 15 years after the original, in which the protagonist of the first game, Corvo Watano, serves as the royal protector to Empress Emily Caldwin, who is the daughter of the slain Empress from the first game, and Corvo himself. And when Emily's throne is usurped by the scheming Duke Luca Abel and the mysterious witch Delilah Copperspoon, who claims to be the older half-sister of Emily's mom and thus the true heir of the throne, either Emily or Corvo, depending on who you choose to play as, manages to escape and must attempt to take back the crown. Now, much like the first game, Dishonored 2 is a superb stealth title, and this game is... Uh, this game is just a uh, fantastic to play. 
And one of one of the things that I really liked about it is that it gives you the choice of playing non-lethally or lethally. And whether you choose to kill your enemies or render them unconscious, that actually has an effect on this on the world state of the game, which is represented by either low chaos or high chaos. Uh, for example, if you do choose to play lethally, whether it's killing your enemies or cutting them up with your with your fold folding blade, uh, the the game the game enters a high chaos state in which which will affect the ending the the ending of the game will be much more grim uh, characters will take a much more cynical tone and uh, and much of the game uh, game's environments will reflect that darkness and uh, and despair. On the flip side, if you do choose to play non-lethally, which is my preferred uh, method of gameplay in in a game like Dishonored, uh, then uh, the 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 world state will be the world uh, chaos state will be rendered low, and uh, uh, characters will be uh, slightly less cynical and a little more idealistic, and uh, the ending will take on a brighter note. And uh, what's cool about the, what's cool about the Dishonored Two is that uh, you're you you are, you have the ability to uh, uh, utilize unique powers whether you play as Emily uh, Caldwin or Corvo Watano, and. Uh, these powers actually give the uh, gameplay a, a certain amount of freshness uh, uh, to it. For example, I've played as Emily Caldwin in in the game, and uh, some of the powers that that I that I've used are pretty much similar to Corvo's uh, as well. Uh, one of the powers that I that I that I upgraded immediately, which helped enormously through this game, is this power called Domino. And uh, Domino is an ability in which you can actually link. Uh, telepathically link f up to four enemies and if you attack one of those enemies then the other three enemies that that are linked will also be effective so so for example i ch i tend to use sleeping darts in order to avoid killing enemies so i would i would link up four enemies with domino shoot one of the enemies with a sleeping dart and then all four of them uh, are incapacitated immediately and uh, i find that in this game it was actually easier to traverse environments with with the fully upgraded powers, in fact, arguably more so than the first game. And uh, with that, uh, depending on how you play in the difficulty level, uh, this might make the game perhaps a bit too easy. Um, but in my view, I, st I still say that the game provided a, a reasonable amount of challenge. I did play on the normal mode. Um, alternatively, if you really want to make this game as challenging as it possibly can get, um, and not not just upgrading, not just upping the difficulty level to its highest setting. You can also choose to play Dishonored Two without using any supernatural powers whatsoever. Uh, in the in the beginning of the game, uh, you're visited by this mysterious, morally neutral being called the Outsider, who actually uh, granted Corvo his powers in the first game. And this time, uh, as as Emily Caldwin, he actually uh, gave Emily the choice of whether or not to be uh, marked by the outsider in order to use uh, the powers from the void, which is this um, state of limbo or the afterlife that uh, that is a, a, a sort of like a reality in the game. Or you can choose to uh, ignore the outsider's offer to avoid not being marked by him and then just go through the game, you know, without any powers. And, you know, traversing the environments um, with with the powers in the game, I can't imagine really playing Dishonored 2 without the use of powers. 
it would make certain obstacles or certain sections in the game that I admit that I did kind of take for granted, you know, using using the far reach power, which is kind of the same thing as blink, where I can actually teleport from one spot to another. It made it easier for me to traverse the environments without being seen. And, you know, without the powers, I'm pretty sure that I'd have to uh, be much more cautious and much more deliberate in traversing each environment. And I'd have to say that each environment, each each level will take much longer than than I would care care for, but I would I would like to I am curious to see how the game would play without the use of powers. Uh, uh, now that the game does include a new game plus, which in which I do have that option. Um, uh, one of the other powers that I use is mesmerize and doppelganger. Uh, two powers in which you can use to distract enemies or or hypnotize them, so you can go in for the kill or render them render them unconscious which i thought was a nice touch um much like the first game i also liked the world building of dishonored 2 uh, throughout the game you see uh, m many you come across many documents and um and books which gives you further details of the world and the characters in it and i also love the steampunk inspired uh mediterranean coastal town aesthetic of the game as well and um, I, I thought it gives the game a very unique look and, and, and reality as uh, as well. Uh, one of the most unique environments of the game, in fact, is one of the most memorable uh, levels that I've played in any video game. And it's this place called the Clockwork Mansion. And the Clockwork Mansion is this, uh, this uh, building which is uh, inhabited by this mad, arrogant genius called Kirin Jindosh. And in this level, if you pull a lever in a room... Then the you you see you see a room transform before your eyes where you see chairs and furniture and shelves recede into the floor and the ceilings and the walls replaced with uh, new new objects new furniture or new spaces within that same room. And what's cool is that as the as the environment is transforming as the platforms are receding, you can actually sneak into into the machinery. So you can actually uh, find yourself weaving in the inner walls to discover the inner workings of this clockwork mansion. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like seeing the machine behind the machine, if you will. And I thought that was one of the most unique uh, environments I've seen, not only in Dishonored, Dishonored, but in any in any stealth game. And I thought that uh, that I would love to see a, a stealth game which kind of utilizes that same level design uh throughout throughout its entirety i could i could see future stealth games kind of utilizing that same that similar aspect i thought that was just a very uniquely designed level which i really enjoyed um another another unique aspect was the uh, time traveling device that you find later on in the game which i won't spoil but i thought that was very uniquely done and uh, this game, uh, Dishonored 2, uh, provides more of that familiar uh, stealth gameplay uh, that you saw in the first in the first game. There's not really much of a difference gameplay-wise between this and the first game, but that is a good thing because uh, the the previous game's uh, stealth gameplay was second to none, and the same holds true for part two. And I will say that Dishonored 2's stealth gameplay was much more satisfying. And the story was much more satisfying than Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which was a game that I did leave off my top five list, even though I did enjoy that game. But uh, that game, uh, Mankind Divided, um, 
is held back by its uh, rather incomplete story. Yeah, Eidos is trying to make a trilogy out of this, uh, out of that, out of that series. So apparently, Mankind Divided is is like the first in is the first installment of three of two more future games in that series, which you know kind of shows in that game's narrative. So you know, compared to Dishonored Two, not really feeling Deus Ex in that aspect, but. Fortunately, Dishonored Two more than uh, more than satisfies uh, in both story and gameplay. So, uh, and also, what's what's uh, what's uh, great about Dishonored Two is that uh, I, I I did manage to buy the uh, limited edition or the day one edition, if you really want to call it that, because that's what it is, which includes the definitive edition of the first game, which you can download for free. Uh, so that's totally fantastic for anybody who hasn't played the first game. And it also includes the first game's uh, two uh, DLC quests as well. So I do intend to get into those rather soon. So if you're a fan of stealth gameplay, uh, superb stealth gameplay, I should say, Dishonored 2 should definitely be on your list. And now we arrive at my second favorite game of the year, in which we did talk about at length on the Codex Prime podcast. You can check out episode 40, Uncharted Headlines, which was posted on May 17th. And this game is Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, which is Naughty Dog's latest and final Uncharted game. Uh, At least the final Uncharted game starring Nathan Drake, and I really, really hope so. Um, Not that I'm saying that the Uncharted series is bad, of course not, because why would it make the list if it's a bad game? I'm just saying that there's something to be said about ending a series without milking the franchise and the same character until it's bled dry. There's something to be said about giving a series a proper conclusion, and Uncharted 4 A Thief's End is that proper conclusion to the story of Nathan Drake. And if you want our full review, uh, definitely check out episode 40. Um, But I will say that this is definitely still my favorite Uncharted game in the series. Uh, My previous favorite was part three, which is quite a surprise to... Uh, to Aris and Maurice. Uh, they, they do prefer Uncharted 2, and for good reason. You can definitely make a case for any of these games as to why either 1, 2, 3, or 4 is your favorite. But for me, Uncharted 4 uh, raises the bar in, in the series in terms of, uh, in terms of its narrative, uh, also in terms of its, uh, its completely refined gameplay. There are this game. This game does does include some rather open-ended environments this time around, where you can use stealth to traverse the environment and uh, deal with your enemies, or you can just go in guns blazing like in the previous uh, three games. And man, I I, I have to say that uh, the the story of Nathan Drake and his brother uh, Sam, and of course Victor Goddamn Sullivan and Elena Fisher. Uh, it, th- these these are just wonderful characters, and man, I I absolutely am looking forward to the upcoming um, uh, side story of Uncharted, starring uh, Chloe Fraser and Nadine Ross, who happens to be the antagonist of Part Four, and have, and also argue, arguably um, Uncharted Four is in my, is in my opinion still the most gorgeous looking game 
on the PS4. I mean, all the the previous Uncharted games definitely pushed the envelope on the PS3 hardware. So Uncharted 4 definitely raises the bar on the PS4. And um, if if you're not if you haven't played uh, the previous three games and still want to get into Uncharted 4, by all means, you certainly can because they're all self-contained stories. But I absolutely recommend uh, checking out. Uh, not only this game, but also the Nathan Drake collection, which could co- which collects the first three games in uh, 1080p high definition, 60 frames per second on the PS4. Well worth your time. Uh, I can't wait to jump into Uncharted 4 again for a proper second playthrough. Um, I'm actually halfway through my second playthrough. I actually stopped in uh, the Madagascar stage, and there were other games which... Uh, which captured my attention, so I haven't been able to complete my second playthrough just yet. But I will, I will do so uh, once I get proper bored of other games. <laughs> but yes, Uncharted Four: A Thief's End, well worth it. A fitting conclusion to the story of Nathan Drake. And if we do see uh, future uh, side stories featuring the other characters as a way of continuing uh, the series. Without, without dragging Nathan Drake needlessly into the fold, I'm all for it. So Naughty Dog, take a bow. And finally, people, we arrive at my number one favorite video game of 2016. And this is a video game that I've been itching to talk about for some time in detail, but I haven't had a chance to do so on the main podcast, although I did uh, briefly mention it at one point. And I'll begin with a quote that opens this game. They are rage, brutal, without mercy. But you, you will be worse. Rip and tear until it is done. Yes, I am talking about id Software's sequel slash reboot first person shooter, Doom which is a package filled with chaos and aggression and visceral thrills, and it is the most fun that I have had in a video game all of last year. This game is so goddamn glorious that... I'm just just getting hype talking about it, but man, uh, this game, Doom, is a first-person shooter in which you, you use an assortment of firearms, your fists, and a one-hit-kill chainsaw to rip and tear through the forces of hell. And, man, this is Twitch gameplay at its finest. And this is and what's interesting about Doom for me was that this is a first-person shooter that in which I had to get with the game's uh, chaotic wavelength. You see, this game reminds me of how spoiled we all are as gamers you know when you play modern day first person shooters and third person shooters for that matter where you know you're you're accustomed to regenerating health and you know hiding behind corners or hiding behind cover and popping out and shooting enemies or you're used to rather predictable ai so you can just tear through uh enemies and levels uh without a care in the world and Doom actually eschews all of those coddling and, you know, I would I would dare say dumbed down aspects of modern day first and third person shooters in which this game is decidedly old school in how it handles those gameplay elements where where 
I had to get with this game's wavelength because when I first played this game, I actually approached the gameplay with the same habits that I acquired from modern day first and third person shooters. And as a result, I always got my ass handed to me in rather quick fashion the first couple times I picked up the, picked up the game. And I admit it was kind of frustrating for me. And I did it did come across my mind to just give up and trade this game in back at GameStop for like one third of the price that I bought it. Uh, thankfully, a uh, reason prevailed, and I actually decided to take a step back and get with this game's wavelength. And this is a first-person shooter which incentivizes aggression and chaos, in which deliberate gameplay is not the order of the day. These enemies, these hordes of demons, are coming at you in unpredictable, wild patterns. They're jumping on walls. They're teleporting into right in your face. They're, they try to outflank you as you're shooting a one wave of demons in front of you. Two more are trying to, you know, uh, uh, attack you from behind, and. And this game is all about fast movement, fast combat. And if you slow down for even just a second in the midst of battle, you will be killed just like that. And so with that in mind, I, I just tore into this game with aplomb. You know, I got with the game's fast-paced combat, its visceral uh, weaponry, its, its deeply satisfying combat in which... You can use in which uh, you can use uh, firearms to tempor temporarily stun enemies, and when sometimes when you stun enemies, they flash blue and orange, which allows you to go in up close and press the R3 button to perform a glory kill, in which you use the Doom Slayer's bare hands to punch, tear, kick, and outwardly and otherwise dismember said demons that are all up in your shit, and. This was just so much fun. Um, as as a game, it was just so gloriously chaotic, and uh, it was uh, some of the most thrilling gameplay I've played in any game all year. And you know, with with all of that said, I mean, you would think that yes, Doom is uh, is just all about fast paced, uh, aggressive combat. There is a bit more uh, uh, beneath the surface than 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 what than you would otherwise think. Um, the storyline of the game, which is arguably disposable, you know, uh, sees the Doom Slayer, who is affectionately known as the Doom Guy by gamers uh, since uh, since the game since the first Doom came out in 1993, and you awake at this uh, Mars uh, installation, this base uh, run by the Union Aerospace Corporation, which is attempting to use uh, energy from Hell itself. As an as an infinite energy source to power Earth, and uh, naturally, as this corporation is trying to tap into Hell's powers, they they rip a portal into our dimension, and demons start pouring in, and they run roughshod. And as the Doom Slayer, you are tasked with uh, destroying the forces of Hell and saving the day. Now. What's interesting about the storyline of this game is that, like I said, it is arguably disposable. And the game kind of uh, winks and nods to that fact. Uh, for example, in the beginning, uh, once, uh, once the Doomslayer wakes up and he gets his armor on, um, he's in he, he comes across this control panel 
and uh, he hears from uh, one of the main uh, figures of the game, Dr. Samuel Hayden, who happens to be the head of this Mars facility. And he's trying to persuade you, the player, or the Doomslayer, to, um, to work alongside him in order to preserve this hellish Argent energy uh, while, while combating the forces of hell. And, and while he's in the middle of his spiel... The Doomslayer takes this monitor in which he's uh, Dr. Hayden is communicating from and he tosses it aside, you know, just aggressively just shoves it aside and he just plows along forward. And that's kind of like the game's way of uh, kind of throwing the middle finger at its own storyline, saying that, you know, you don't really need to know about the story. I mean, there are demons, you have guns, shoot them, and that's all you need to know. But... Don't think of don't think of Doom as having a useless storyline or a useless uh, thin threadbare narrative in order to justify its, its existence. Uh, when you're playing through the game, you do come across these data packs, which explains in full and very interesting detail the lore behind the game. For example, the details of the uh, Air Union Aerospace Corporation and their work and how they uh, discovered this energy from hell. Uh, you also get in, you also find information about the very demons that you're that you're facing, um, and also hell itself. And also what, what I found really interesting about the game, and this was actually pointed out by uh, several uh, video game commenters, most notably uh, Jim Sterling on his YouTube show, The Jimquisition, in which the, the forces of hell, the reason why these demons are so hostile, as, apart from the fact that they are demons, is the fact that as the Doomslayer, you are so badass that you are basically unkillable and they act and the demons actually sealed you away and so when you escaped your concrete slab prison these demons are going ape shit they, they're terrified of you they are just they're shitting themselves at the very sight of you the doomslayer clad in your green armor and your arsenal of weapons because they know that they're about to get fucked six ways from sunday and it's such an interesting it's such an interesting take because it kind of gives you that further empowerment as that character as you're as you're battling these uh these demonic forces they're not only hostile but they're they're hostile because they're they're terrified they're scared of you and I thought that was such a fresh uh rather uh, uh interesting interesting way of 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 engaging the narrative and this character uh, as a whole now doom isn't all isn't just about you know shooting mind, mindless uh, running gun gameplay uh, the game also does encourage a bit of exploration because as you're traversing through each uh, each uh, 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 section of the base and hell itself there you do come across uh, some uh, hidden areas which include uh, some hidden uh, items for example the uh, collectibles which feature the collectibles of the doom guy action figure and there are also secret areas which may yield armor or some ammo pickups or some much needed health items as well and speaking of health there is no regenerating health in this game um, if, if you're down to the wire you need to find a health pack otherwise you're dead and you got to start over and I thought that was very, very old school. And, I, and that was refreshing to see. Um, also, the game includes numerous challenges uh, during missions, which enables you to upgrade, to earn upgrade points, which you can use to upgrade your character's um, armor, your health, and your ammo, as well as uh, 
as well as giving your characters uh, certain passive skills, like um, reveal, like using your auto map to reveal all the hidden uh, knickknacks of a level, or upgrading your character's uh, ability ability to take damage, and 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 so on and so forth. And there are other challenges in the game too. Like you can come across these uh, challenge maps, which you have to defeat these enemies within a set length of time, and you can earn trophies or achievements as well. And uh, yeah, th this is a game in which it, it, it's, it's it's just so fun to play. And oh, I, I almost forgot one of the more unique elements of the game includes this one-hit weapon called the, which is the chainsaw. And in previous Doom installments, the chainsaw was just your garden variety melee weapon, which you can use in addition to your fists. But the chainsaw in this game was done rather well, in which you can use it as a one-hit kill weapon. So if you're coming across a, a rather large demon, you can use that ch that one-hit chainsaw to just to just tear them to shreds. But there's a there's a flip side. Uh, when you use the chainsaw, that that slain enemy yields a multitude of ammunition, which you can pick up and 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 continue to fight. But the but the chainsaw requires fuel, and it's pretty rare to come across. So you have to use it use the chainsaw wisely as you're as you're traversing the environment. And I thought that was a very uh, nice touch, a very unique way of using that melee weapon uh, in the game. And as for the other weapons in the game, with the exception of the pea shooter pistol, uh, the rest of the weapons that you do come across in the game are all very useful. There's not one weapon in this game that you would entirely ignore. Uh, you know how you play other uh, other shooters? You do come across at least two or three uh, uh, main weapons that you use throughout the game, and those are your three go-to weapons. Uh, this game, Doom, you have a dozen weapons that you, at your disposal, and all of them have their uses at some point, and you do run out, run out of ammo rather quickly for each one. So, for example, if you're uh, mowing down demons with, say, the heavy assault rifle, and you run out of ammunition for that, that, then you'd have to switch to your plasma rifle which is just as fun and then you switch to your shotgun and then you switch to your other plasma cannon and your rocket launcher like like each of the weapons in the game are and are very useful and it depends on which uh type of enemy that you come across so for example some of the bigger some of the bigger demons uh, uh that you encounter might require the use of heavier weaponry like the rocket launcher or the plasma cannon uh as well um, the only weapon that doesn't have any real use for it, I mean, unless you want to challenge yourself, is the pistol. Now, I'm pretty sure that there are gamers out there who have who have uh, completed Doom using only the pistol. Probably. I'm not sure. I mean, if, if there are, please email the show at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com and uh, tell us how you did it. But uh, Doom uh, is a game that has no wasted items or wasted weaponry, and I thought that was, and that was something that I really uh, appreciated in this game. Uh, and that also, again, lends itself to the aggressive and hectic uh, combat uh, throughout the game, in which every single weapon has to have its use, and you're going to end up using each one uh, throughout the game anyway. So. Uh, as you're fighting, as you're fighting enemies, you gain you gain more and more ammunition, and it does uh, motivate you and encourages you to switch out switch out different weapons on the fly each and every time. And I and I saw I saw I thought that was a very cool, uh, a very cool way of handling uh, the weaponry uh, in the game, in which every weapon has its it, in which every weapon is useful. 
And uh, last but not least, I did appreciate the game's inclusion of a snap map feature in which you can use the game's assets to uh, custom create your own levels and play through them yourself, or you can allow other players to play through your own uh, created stages. Um, I never, I haven't gotten into the snap map feature, uh, but I, but I, again, I do appreciate its inclusion, and I might tool around with it uh, at at some point and give my thoughts about it later. But um, that's just one well, creative aspect that kind of extends the shelf life of Doom, uh, uh, as it were. Uh, all I can say uh, uh, more about Doom is that if you haven't played it, by all means, go buy this game. If you don't own it for whatever version, whether it's the PS4, Xbox One, PC, do yourself a favor and buy this game. It's, 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 it's fun. It's some of the most fun that you will have in not only a first-person shooter, but any, any genre of game for that matter. And for me, I will say that Doom is my favorite game of 2016. And with all that said, I uh, thank you for listening uh, to uh, this episode of Victor's Corner. And my question to you all is, what are your favorite games of last year? And as a side question, uh, what are some of the video games that you are looking forward to the most in 2017? Whatever your answers are, please email the show at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and include uh, your comments and questions as well. And we will read them on the show. In, in addition, you can also find all of our content, all of our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, as well as select episodes on YouTube. And uh, with all that, uh, once again, I thank you very much for listening. And I do hope that we do have a new episode of the Codex Prime podcast this week. Um, I know that uh, for each of us, life has kind of gotten in the way uh, for each of us. And plus, this nasty winter weather hasn't been kind uh, in terms of traveling safely on the roads. Uh, um, with that, I advise all of you to please uh, be careful as you're driving out there. Black ice is a silent killer. So please uh, tread carefully as you're driving home and to and from work or wherever you're going. And um, with all that said, as always, be well, be awesome. And I will see you uh, next time we uh, get the band back together or... I will also see you on a future episode of Victor's Corner. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon. Take care, guys. <laughs>